Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld and by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. So Rabbi Schatz and I are going to uh, present one after the other today. I'm going to give more of an introduction to the book of Darin, the book of Deuteronomy that we're about to start reading. And then Rabbi Schatz is going to zoom in and focus on a few verses uh, as we begin this last book of the Torah. The book of Deuteronomy, the book of Darim, has a really fascinating history in the sense that as a book itself, there's more scholarship, both traditional rabbinic scholarship and modern uh, biblical theory scholarship attached to that as a book than any of the other books individually. And the reason is that it seems both to the modern scholarly eye and to the rabbinic eye, like an appendage. Um, in modern scholarship, there's strong belief that the book of Deuteronomy was crafted, edited, curated, and perhaps even found much later than the rest of the Torah became part of the canon. People refer to the verses in the books of the prophets when King Josiah had this reform, this epiphany, that the Jewish people needed to come back to their core. It was a very combustible era where things were, um, were not at all calm in the ancient Israelite community. And King Josiah was like a spiritual policeman. He was a, a constable looking around the community and trying to bring them back. And he, the Torah says, or the Bible says that he finds this book of the Torah. Does he find the entire book? Some people say he finds or created the book of Dvarim which is filled with messages that's supposed to bring the Jewish people back into a faithful relationship with God. That's modern scholarship. But even rabbinic commentary, the rabbis refer to the book of, the, of Dvarim as Mishneh Torah, the second Torah. It's a window into their understanding that there's something about Dvarim, which is an encapsulation, and perhaps even in the words of my teacher, Michal Goodman, a commentary, a perush on the Torah itself. They would never have imagined that it came later. The rabbinic imagination of the Torah came in one instant at Har Sinai, but they understood it to be something extra, something that looks in on the previous four books of the Torah. Getting to, according to Michal Goodman, the first perush that launches the whole uh, culture of rabbinic interpretation that gives us our laws, and gives us our expansive narrative of our text, the first thing that launches the project of rabbinic Judaism is actually, according to Michael Goodman, the book of Dvarim itself. It's a book of the Torah, and it's a book on the Torah. And it's a book that is replete with some interesting paradoxes. One paradox. The book of Dvarim emphasizes that it is critical to tell the story of the Exodus. We're going to get there in Parshat Kitavo, that when the Israelites go into the land of, of Canaan and they bring their first fruits to the land, they stand before the priest and they tell the entire story of the Israelites' descent into Egypt and their ascent from Egypt. And yet, paradoxically, when Moshe retells the story of the Israelites in the book of Dvarim, what does he omit? The Exodus story. It's a book that reinforces the significance of telling the story, and it's a book which omits that story. Moshe's version of the Israelite story in the book of Varim starts not with leaving Egypt, which was the high point of his 
leadership career, but leaving Mount Sinai, which is the beginning of the end of his career after he's accomplished his most important things. It's as if Moshe in retelling the story is battling the national story against his own personal story. Another interesting paradox that appears very early on in the book of Darim. Who are the people of Israel and what do they think of themselves? In the opening chapter of Dvarim, it tells of the Israelites who were terrified of the enemy that they left and the enemies around them, the Anakim, these giants that the spies espied when they went to the land of Israel. It's a cowering people. By chapters two and three of the book of Dvarim, they're on the way to Israel. They defeated Og, who was the greatest Anak, the greatest giant the Bible knew, defeated Og easily with God's strength. So we don't know. The Israelites think of themselves as the victims, as powerless, as vulnerable, or with God on their side, able to accomplish anything. It's sort of a preview into the whole scope of Jewish history, where how we see ourselves and how others see us vacillates between we are nothing, we are always exposed, or their version of us, we are vermin and subhuman, or contrary, we can accomplish anything. We can return to Zion. We can recreate a society or the anti-Semites version of us. We control everything and we are replete with power. That back and forth begins in the book of Dvarim. A third paradox. Moshe seems to give sermons in the book of Dvarim that are interrupted by little storytelling. In the first sermon that Moshe gives in the book of Dvarim, Moshe emphasizes to the Israelites who are still alive, you are different than the generation that left Egypt. They all died. They were slaves. This is a new chapter of Israelite history. You leave them behind. You are not just the inheritors of a slave generation. But the second sermon that Moshe seems to give in the book of Dvarim, beginning with chapter five, when they leave Chorev, the book of Deuteronomy's word for the Mount Sinai, And Moshe emphasizes the derech that God wants you to walk in, the pathway. It's the same expectations that God has of you that God had for the previous generation. You, in fact, even though you weren't actually there, you were at Sinai. You inherited that moment. It's in your cultural and historical DNA and memory. So if I'm an Israelite in the book of Dvarim and I listen to sermon one, that I'm not like them. And if I go to sermon two, I am them. It's as if the book of Deuteronomy is saying you discard the sins of that generation, but you take on their obligations. That is a constant and still relevant Jewish struggle with our relationship with our past. In Micha Goodman's language, it's a serious question that Bible challenges us with. In some ways, you are part of the past. In some ways, you are not at all. There are parts of Torah we want to divorce ourselves from, and there are parts of Torah we want to embrace. Overall, it's a fascinating book, which, of course, I would say about every book of the Torah. It's the fifth book of the Torah and the first commentary on the Torah. It's the first review of our people's story, and it's within the story. And it's the first look at which mitzvot are critical and eternal and which can be changed or updated. Because if you look closely, we're not getting into it right now. There are laws from the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, which once they get represented in the book of Varim, are significantly different in terms of their obligations upon our shoulders. I'll end my general introduction with the words of the Ramban, the 13th century Spanish commentator, or his ideas. 
He says, if you look closely, the book of Deuteronomy relocates God from the top of the mountain. That's the book of Exodus to the Anan, the cloud on the top of the Mishkan in the sanctuary. So therefore, it's not just a book about how God took us to Israel, but also about how we took God to Israel, wherever we encamped, wherever we proclaimed God's holiness. In fact, what we're doing in this very moment. So I'm going to take us uh, to one verse of this week's Parsha that speaks very much to this idea of this being the first Midrash that Rabbi Klickfeld shared with us from the words of Micha Goodman. And it's verse five. If you would like to look, there's no source sheet today, I know. Um, but if you would like to look, if you have a Chumash still, you can look. It's on, it's Deuteronomy chapter one, verse five. And the verse says, Be'ever hayaden be'eretz moav ho'il Moshe. So in the, on the other side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses seems to be explaining something or undertakes this. It says here, Moses undertook to explain. Uh, Rabbi Clickfeld spoke very beautifully earlier this week about we don't actually really know exactly what Ho'il is trying to get us to understand here about what Moshe did. But it goes on to say, Moshe be'er et ha-Torah hazot le'emor. So Moses explained this teaching or this Torah to say. So my question for you before we look at some commentaries is, what does it mean to say HaTorah Hazot? What does HaTorah Hazot mean? This is, as Rabbi Klickfeld just took us through, this is the fifth book of the Torah. It does go through a lot of other pieces of our Torah in explanation and in story. But what could it mean that Moshe now gets up in front of the people and is explaining this teaching or this Torah? What could that mean? What is this Torah? This is the interactive part. You can raise your hand. I'll call on you. You say something. I respond. Yes, Scott. Great. So the specific things or thing that he's about to teach in that exact moment, that is going to be the Torah or the teaching. Any other thoughts? Rabbi Charney? That was like half a hand. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So I'm going to repeat just because the people on Zoom can't hear Rabbi Charney speaking from the back of the room. Um, he mentioned that we get the Shema in, in this book, right? We get the Shema in Devarim. And so instead of taking a full bird's eye view of what has happened in the Torah, we are now looking into the specifics. What are the specifics of that which we do as a people? This is now me speaking um, more so than what Rabbi Chorney shared, but a commentary on his words that we need to now know what we're supposed to do with that bird's eye view. What What are the details? What are we supposed to learn and do so that we can be a people. Did you ask something again? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So instead of Ed said, instead of the history of that, which we've experienced and seen and heard about, now we're going to get the laws. Now it's the, what do we do? How do we do it as, as we are becoming a people going into the land? Yeah, Bonnie. Beautiful. So this Torah, that which is about to be said or explained, is the filter that that filters everything else that we've experienced that we know about into what we actually are going to take away. It filters out that which is important. Maybe that's where those laws and those details come into play as well. Any other thoughts? Yes, Larry. <laughs> the version. Okay, great. Okay, so Larry very often launches us into the com the first commentary that I'm going to share, and he just did that again. 
So the idea that that which maybe even more so than a filter, that this is the version of the Torah that Moshe in this case, or the person reading it, or the person potentially writing it, wanted us to know as we take this next step as a people. Okay, so I'm going to start with Ramban. Rabbi Klickfeld ended with Ramban to say that Ramban has two pieces here. So one is that all of the mitzvot that were taught, that are going to be taught in the book of Devarim come from God, he says. Okay, so they all come from God, but Moshe explains them. So it becomes Moshe's version of the mitzvot trickling down and being told to the people. So in the way that both Bonnie and Larry kind of explained what HaTorah HaZot could mean, Moshe is now saying, okay, I know all of this stuff. I'm going to make it mine so that then it can be yours. So I'm going to filter through or I'm going to explain this version of the Torah of these laws that came from God, but that are now coming through my mouth to be HaTorah HaZot, this Torah. Two other pieces of commentary and then, um, then we can wrap up. The Kuznitzer Magid. Have you ever heard of him? Okay. I had not heard of him either. His name is Yisrael Hopstein. Oh, Oh, sure. Okay. (laughs) Went to seminary together. Uh, From 18th century Poland. He's the founder of Hasidism. Okay. Anyway, whatever. That's what I found. Um, They all say that. Kendra Tony said. That's probably true. Um, Anyway, he says that when God commanded Moshe to take the Israelites out of Egypt... Moshe wavered, right? We all remember, he says, I'm not a man of words. But after years of being their leader, and after years of dealing with them, and after years of hearing their constant complaints and disputes and withstanding their constant grumbling, he becomes a man of words. And so he's now able to say, HaTorah HaZot. He's able to say, Not only am I going to stand before you and give those sermonettes that Rabbi Klickfeld mentioned before, but I'm going to also, from the experience I've had with you as a people, I'm going to then share with you back what it is you are supposed to do when you enter the land, because he's not going with them. So he becomes the redactor, so to speak, of all of those experiences to filter into and to create that version of Torah that they need when they enter the land. Okay, I lied. I'm going to do two more. Here's This is a commentary from, from the Tiferet Israel, and it says, the difference between the first four books of the Torah and the last book is that the first four, some believe, are written by the perspective of the, from the perspective, excuse me, of the giver of Torah from God. While the fifth book is written from the perspective of the recipient of the Torah. It's very similar to what Rabbi Klickfeld was sharing with us. Generally, in the Torah, when Moshe speaks, he is speaking directly the words that God had placed in his mouth. But in Sefer Devarim, Moshe says his own words as an agent speaking on behalf of his principle. So again, HaTorah HaZot is because these are now his words. This is his book. To quote Hamilton, who lives, who dies, who tells their story. Right? He knows that he's not going to make it into the land. So he's not going to be there, but they need to live on this story and they need to be able to tell that story. And so he shares it back with him through his own words. This is the last piece. The Sfat Emet. 
He says that the book of Devarim is not only the first midrash, as Micha Goodman would say, but it's actually the first aspect of the Torah Sheba El Peh. For all the reasons that I just shared, right? Moshe is speaking. And so therefore, it's the Torah Sheba El Peh from his mouth. Through the Torah, Moshe's speech impediment was healed. And at the end of his life, his words became words of Torah. The Torah Sheba El Peh is the power to create Torah through toiling in its study. Every Jew has the power which was given to the Jewish people at Har Sinai. So I want to gift us with this first parsha, this first entrance into the book of Devarim to think about what is HaTorah Hazot for you? What is your Torah? What is the Torah you take with you? What is the Torah that you share with others? Every time that we get to come up here, whether a rabbi or a community member, and share words of Torah with you, those become HaTorah Hazot for me. Because I'm sharing Torah that I now believe is my Torah. That's what Moshe did. Moshe experienced this life and experienced these moments and learned these rules and now had to share back with the people that which they needed. So I hope that throughout Shabbat, and especially in entering Tisha B'Av, a moment where we are supposed to think about the destruction of really a central aspect of our Judaism and where do we go from there that we can hold on to our Torah. We can hold on to that, which is our Torah, our history, our learning and bring it out into the world as HaTorah Hazot, as the Torah that we share. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.